beautiful, beautiful truth. The words we have sung just now. Greatest news that has ever been spoken or ever been heard. I want to invite you to go to 1 Peter with me. 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles. If not, it's going to be on the screen for you. 1 Peter. We're going to just jump right in. Uh, you'll know today, if you've, you've been around, this connects to last week. It connects to Friday night as we open the Word briefly. This passage... Peter is explaining to people who are scattered. They've been dispersed because of persecution. They're wondering what's going on. This is a terrible situation for us. We don't know how the gospel is going to survive. The church is going to survive. How we're going to survive. And so Peter writes to these people, first and foremost, to remind them of the great salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just that, as we've sort of been working backwards in this text, we learn from verses 10 through 12, Peter's like, hey, you know, you like to think about all the Old Testament prophets and how they heard directly from God. And he tells, he tells these people, he says, you know, they, they wanted to know the things that you know. They wanted to hear the gospel with such clarity and know exactly who the Messiah is. They wanted to know these things and they couldn't know them. You're in a better position. And then he goes on and describes the salvation. We're going to talk more about it today. How it worked out in the preaching of the gospel and the hearing of the gospel and repenting and believing. And then he says, these things that angels long to look into. So not only prophets, they wanted to know what you know, and this applies to you, saints. They wanted to know what you know. Angels want to have the experience that you have. And then all of this comes on the heels of his just beautiful, I'll say, rendition of gospel truth. And so that's why we've been working backwards. Friday night, we read verses 8 and 9 and expounded those for a moment. And then today, we're backing up to verses 3 through 5. If you're a guest with us, then uh, just know it's not normal for me to preach backwards through books. Um, but that's what we're doing last week and this week. I want you to read with me First Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 3. For the sake of the context, I'm going to read through verse 12 again. And it's just dawning on me that my notes are not going to be up there today. So forgive me for that busy, busy week. Join me, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the, in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not, they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, once again, we plead for your mercy in our condition, our distracted condition, our tired condition, our condition of being so enthralled and intrigued by the world's things. Even now, as we have chosen to sit among saints and sit under the preaching of the word, Father, it is the temptation for us to draw our thoughts everywhere else. So we pray that you would give us the focus that we need here and now to produce eternal transformation in our lives. Make us like Jesus for these few moments. Do this so it will have these eternal effects. Father, only you can do it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm, I'm titling the, the sermon today, Alpha and Omega. And the reason is... Uh, we know this is a title given to Jesus. The beginning and the end, he's the reason everything exists. He's the, the, the point to which everything is pointing, going. All time, all human history is moving toward the glory of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. He is the Lord of all. But let's narrow it in just a little bit, okay, to our salvation. Our salvation is also one of those things that Jesus is Lord over from beginning to end. From the very beginning, he was in it. He got it started to the very end. He's going to make it complete. It's not going to lack anything. We, as he transforms us, are not going to lack anything. So that's where we get Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's also the beginning and end of our salvation. And I want you to notice here in verse 3, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, the first words after his brief introduction, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like Peter anticipating the, the, the joy 
that would be delivered to these saints that are hearing and reading this letter. It's almost like, look, I can't even contain it. I'm just going to start with praise to God. You know how somebody, when they have that great story to tell, they start off by saying, hey, I got a great story to tell. You're not going to believe what happened. It's awesome. They tell you that, and then they proceed to tell you the story. I'm not a storyteller. I'm terrible at it. If there's a punchline at all, like I'm going to uh, totally mess it up, okay? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And some of y'all are storytellers that just keep on telling the story, and it's like it never comes to an end. Peter's like, hey, I got, I got the best news that you've ever heard. Praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for this right here. And he continues to tell. On that, I want to give you this thing. Christ fully saved us, but that salvation is not yet fully revealed. Christ fully saved us. But that salvation is not yet fully revealed. So he uses language here. It's the language to be born again. Born again. This has long been connected in our society with the Christian message, the gospel. Born again. So I want to talk about the new birth. I want to talk about these three verses in terms of the new birth. Verses 3 through 5. So I want to give you two truths regarding the new birth from these verses. First, the new birth starts with God. The new birth starts with God. You heard it right there. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A couple things I want you to note here. The Father's mercy is the motivation. The Father's mercy is the motivation. So don't, from the start, I know a lot of people get this wrong, okay? From the start, they start thinking like, oh yeah, God saved me because he saw something in me worth saving. No. No. Wrong. He saved you because he's a merciful God. He saved you because deep inside of who he is, he wants to show mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not what we showed the crawfish on Friday night. Okay? No mercy on Friday night. I was shucking those things as fast as I could. And I'm slow. Real slow. No mercy. Look, mercy... Mercy is that attribute of God that moves him to action when he looks upon our condition. This is important. He sees our condition, our condition of hopelessness, our our pitiful estate, and from his infinite storehouses of mercy. He meets us in our needy condition with exactly what we need. And he doesn't do this begrudgingly. He doesn't do this half-heartedly. It is, as Peter says right here, according to his great mercy. He has all this mercy. And Peter says, he's given it to you. He wants to do this. It's a part of who he is. The mercy that God displays toward us in saving us is perfectly consistent with his eternal compassionate nature. It is the Father's mercy 
that is the motivation. But also, you notice right here, it is the son's resurrection that is the means. The father's mercy is the motivation. The son's resurrection is the means. We just heard from Paul's letter to Corinth as Freddie read, man, we're in, a, we're in a tough condition if Jesus did not rise from the grave. You realize, like, the entirety, the entirety of the history of Christianity, churches far and wide, faith in Jesus Christ, all of these things hinge on that one fact, the resurrection of Jesus. We've got to recognize, if Christ is not raised, there's no future resurrection for us or anyone else. This is all it is. If Christ is not raised, there is no new birth. If Christ is not raised, you are definitely not saved. If Christ is not raised, you are still in that hopeless and helpless condition. You are still lost in your sin. If Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. It is worthless. If Christ is not raised, as Paul says, we read earlier, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ is not raised, we are utter fools. We should just go home. We should stop with these religious activities. No Easter. No funny games. We just give up on the church and, and honestly haven't so many. Even those, even those who profess faith in Jesus, haven't they given up? We've seen it. We've seen it. Nothing about their lives says that Jesus lives. That he actually rose from the dead. They wouldn't say that in words, but they say that in their actions. But if Christ is now alive, then we have every reason to hope in him. And that's exactly what Peter says. We have been born again. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. Living hope. So if you know this to be true, and you have this hope in Jesus Christ, the question is, then why would you live your life as if he is still in the grave? Your hope is in everything around you. Let's be honest. Your hope is in everything around you. Look at your time. Look at your money. Look at your thoughts. Look at your conversations. Look at your, your plans. You know what? You want to get, get real far into this, this search for where your hopes are? Look at your fears. What are you afraid of? Look at your fears. Look at your frustrations. We have so many activities in our lives that are, that are causing us to be concerned with things that do not matter in the end. But ultimately, we have, we have very few thoughts of the risen Christ. We hope in the things that pass away, the temporal things, momentary satisfaction. 
vain hopes, dead hopes. But this hope, this hope is living. This kind of hope that the Christian has, the believer has, is altogether different from any other hope that the world has ever known. So as sure as the Lord Jesus got up out the grave, appeared to the disciples and 500 other witnesses, as sure as he ascended to heaven while the disciples watched, as sure as he is glorified right now, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, hearing the worship of the saints today, as sure as Jesus lives, our hope is that sure. Our hope is grounded in the objective reality of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And this new birth starts with God. He did it. He did it. Let's also see, secondly, the, the new birth secures heaven's best. The new birth secures heaven's best. So it starts with God, and it secures heaven's best. We keep reading right there. It says we've been born again, calls us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The new birth secures heaven's best. Here's what I want you to understand from this point. That all of this, upon our repentance and faith, upon that moment that the Holy Spirit breathes life into you, manifesting faith in the risen Lord Jesus, at that moment, all the inheritance that belongs to the Son, Jesus Christ, that inheritance now belongs to you. Now, as he writes, this inheritance most likely does not refer to primarily earthly or or present possessions, but to an expectant kind of possession. You kind of get that feeling from the text, I'm sure. So, we won't get into the specifics of what Peter has in mind because he does not get into the specifics either. And I think that that, that fact, the, 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 the withholding of details, I think that that is, it's done on purpose. And I hope we can see that. But he describes the inheritance in several ways here. First off, we're just going to walk through these words. It may be slightly different in your Bible, meaning essentially the same thing. But we'll walk through these words. So these are the sub points. First off, this inheritance is imperishable imperishable. You know, we have, we have a, a category of foods, don't we? We call imperishables. Uh, I don't know who it was this week was telling me how they used to go over to some family member's house and they would make food for them and they would break out cans of food, you know, uh, canned baked beans. They've been in the pantry for who knows how many decades. Imperishables, right? Well, unfortunately, those actually do perish. 
Those actually do go away. They do spoil. What we have here, this inheritance, there's no way to describe, there's no way to define imperishable without turning to what we know, which is only things that perish. All we know on this earth is about those things that perish where moths eat and rust destroys. So we have to describe it. And each of these words does this. We describe the inheritance in negative ways. We know what's perishable. So it's just not that, right? It's imperishable. So we can say, Christian, Christian, what's your, what's your inheritance like? I don't know. I don't know exactly how to describe it. All I can tell you is that it's not like all this stuff that goes away. It's not like all this stuff that goes bad. It's imperishable. He says also it's undefiled. That is, it does not stain. And this is actually where we get the word uh, spoil. Maybe you recall what, what sin does to you. It, it stains you. It stains you. It, it contaminates. It defiles everything about you so much so that God in Scripture says, the, the stain of your sin is ever before me. So apart from the Lord Jesus, just you and your sin and God, God says, when I look at you, all I can see is the sin stain. I can't get past that. It's ever before me. It's the first thing I notice. Yet in Christ, that sin stain is washed away. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You know how this works? It's it's, uh, beautiful. As, As you walk through the Gospels, you see the way that Jesus ministered to people along the way. And when he touched the leper, you know what happened? He didn't get leprosy. When he touched the leper, what he had actually healed the leper, didn't he? Disease. He wasn't affected by the disease. People running away from people with the disease and Jesus goes and touches them and makes them clean. In him, in Jesus, your inheritance is such that it cannot be stained. It cannot be defiled. It's so undefilable, if that's a word, that not even you can mess it up now. So somebody's probably been believing the lie, oh, you know, God doesn't love me like he used to because I've been doing all this. If you know him, if you have Jesus Christ by faith, you know what? Your inheritance is undefiled by your mess-ups. It's undefiled by your relapses as we discussed this morning in Sunday school. It's imperishable. It's undefiled, he says, thirdly, another negative word, unfading. It's unfading. This word uh, conjures the image of a beautiful flower, and we're getting uh, to those days, right? Spring, you look at the flowers, flowers are beautiful, and you wish you could just sort of capture it. But you know what happens as the summer comes and goes? All those flowers, they're going to wither. 
They're going to die. They're going to fade. The victorious athlete's crown fades. That reflection in the mirror, it fades, doesn't it? This inheritance, unfading. It won't wither. It won't lose its beauty. We put all these three three things together. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. McDonald's says of these three, our inheritance, to say it another way, it's death-proof, it's sin-proof, and it's time-proof. You see that? Your inheritance, believer, it is so secure. It's not going anywhere. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and he keeps on going, kept for you in heaven. Kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. It is readily kept for you. Notice if you keep going, he says, it's ready to be revealed in the last time. So our inheritance, according to these words, our inheritance is under safekeeping. It's being preserved until we take possession of it. So, uh, yes, there will be a joyous occasion when you step foot in heaven, believer, when you actually arrive there, there will be great joy. But even more than that, every blessing of heaven, everything that is there, every measure of that blessing will be yours. You will take possession of it. It is kept for you, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Guarded, that that word is shielded, like military terms. We are shielded within the power of God. So not only is our inheritance preserved, but we too are preserved. We too are shielded. We are kept by God. So how do you find yourself within that keeping power of God? He says it, faith. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the constant refrain of the Christian message is believe on Jesus. Is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust that his sinless life, his sin atoning death, and his salvation securing resurrection are actually, uh, truly, eternally sufficient to save you. Now, you may fall into the error when you start thinking that somehow your faith, in your faith, is the power to keep you. Well, if I just keep my faith, then I will have the power to keep my salvation. No, no, no. No, it's his power. By believing in him, you have that power shielding you, preserving you. If you start believing that your faith has it all, that your faith is the power, you will quickly fall. Like Peter, denying Jesus on the night of his death. But when you do fall, when you do fall, like Peter, you'll be reminded of that pitiful condition that you were in at the start. 
And you'll be reminded, like Peter, of the words of Jesus. Simon, Satan desires to have you, to sift you like wheat. You know what he says after that? He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Luke 22, 31 and 32. Okay, okay, pastor. So, so Jesus prayed for Peter. He prayed for Peter's faith to not fail. Okay, good for Peter. What about me? Well, you know, you know, the Bible tells us, believer, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus prayed for you. We talked about this recently from John 17. He says in verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Our inheritance is kept for us, and we are kept for our inheritance. This inheritance, he says, the fullness of our salvation is ready to be revealed. The whole of our salvation, get this, it's ready. It's ready. That salvation is complete. One writer says it this way, nothing need be added to God's preparation. The salvation that God has got ready does not need a few final touches from us. God's salvation, finished, perfect, unchangeable, is kept for us by God himself. And here's the aim of our blessed hope. The fullness of that salvation is ready to be revealed. I told you that I think Peter, I think Peter withholds the details here according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, as he writes, I think he withholds the details on purpose. Here's why. He can't sufficiently describe our inheritance. It's one of those things that's like, you know, it's too great. It's too great for words. He can't describe it. What does the Bible say? No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. His best thoughts couldn't come close to what this inheritance is. So as Hebert encourages us, we look forward to the coming day when God will draw back the veil that now hides our glorious salvation from mortal eyes. And it will be ours at just the right time. Just the right time. You know, it's interesting. Honestly, We often talk about how 
we need to be careful that we don't present Jesus as a means to another end. And this is true. We don't want to present Jesus as a means to whatever thing you're trying to get. Whatever earthly blessing, whatever. Uh, Jesus is not just a means to heaven. So it's tough sometimes when I get to texts like this and I have to admit like, hey, there is some glorious stuff coming our way and it's going to be ours. So honestly, we can't separate all the blessings that come through Jesus Christ, all the riches of heaven, the treasure of heaven, heaven's best. We can't even separate that from the person of Jesus because in him are all the treasures of God. All the wisdom of God, all the blessings in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1, are ours in Christ Jesus. So if you have Christ Jesus, then you will always have every blessing that comes through him. All of these things point to the truth that your salvation can never be stripped from you. Those folks that think that they can lose their salvation... They just, they just believe they have more power than God's purpose to save. All of this points to the truth. You will never lose that inheritance. You're adopted into the family of God. You will not be disowned. It will never be taken away. God will finish, we know, Philippians 1, the sanctifying work that he started in us. No one, as we sang just a moment ago, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. No one can pluck us out of his hand. The new birth brought us securely into God's family and it secures for us heaven's best. As we conclude, I want to talk briefly about this new birth. This is something that Jesus talked about Maybe if you're familiar with his encounter with Nicodemus. Nicodemus coming to him by night and seeking answers. Jesus is teaching things that, man, they sound really good. I want to hear more. So he comes to Jesus and you remember, almost unprovoked, Jesus just turns the conversation. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The phrase born again literally means born from above. And then Jesus starts to describe the work of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about that regeneration. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about the new birth. He starts to talk about the Holy Spirit, and he says the, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. The way he moves in saving is like the wind. You don't know where it's going, but you know where it has been. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you today, if you do not know the Lord Jesus, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, 
Will you respond to the Spirit today? Why would you, why would you wait? Why would you bet that the Spirit will come and, and, and bring you to the face-to-face with the gospel message again, hoping that he'll bring about whatever level of conviction you may have? If you're, if you're betting on that to happen again, look, you may be risking it all. Well, there'll be another time, another place. Why would you risk eternity apart from God's goodness? The Bible tells us that when the Spirit breathes life, our response is faith. Believing on Jesus that his finished work is sufficient to save us. Not only that, in Christ, in Christ through this new birth, It says that we're a new creation. You will be made new by coming to Jesus in faith. Christ fully saved us, those who believe. But that salvation is not yet fully revealed. We look forward to that day, saints. Every Sunday, gathering together to remind one another, just like Peter did for these believers here, to remind one another that this day is coming to be revealed at the last time. Respond to the word of God by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, your word is wonderful. Life-giving. We rejoice being able to open up and read the words of Scripture inspired by you, authoritative from you, pointing every one of us to the Lord Jesus. So, Father, help us to know him, to see him with the eyes of faith for who he is, to rejoice in him, as we together, all together, long for the day when he will be revealed from heaven. Father, the thoughts of our inheritance are too great and glorious. But Father, thank you for letting us for these moments fix our minds upon Jesus and all that is ours in him. We pray in his name.